Hello, my name is Sarah and I am your chakra coach. On this podcast, we'll be exploring how the chakra system can help guide you to grow your emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual wellness, leading you closer to your highest self. Hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome to the episode. I'm so excited about the interview I have for you today, but I have a few quick things I want to talk about first. The main thing is that my seven-day chakra manifestation course is up and running on yourchakracoach.com. It's It's been there for a while, but I recently learned that there was some sort of technological glitch that asked people to pick a shipping option, which is weird because it's an email course. I don't send anything to you. And, and some of you were unable to get it when you wanted it. And I... I'm so sorry for that. I mean, obviously it wasn't on purpose, but I know it was frustrating. So thank you to the listeners who caught my error and let me know. It's all fixed now. So if you want to get access to the seven-day chakra manifesting course delivered via email, it's ready for you. The second thing is that there is a new yoga class taught by me up on the Patreon page. It's a 30-minute restorative yoga class that I filmed after the Moon Cycle series because people were so interested in rest modalities. We always think that just sleeping is enough, and it's certainly a huge part of it, but restorative yoga is more than that because it involves stretching and releasing your muscles and connective tissue. As one of my yoga teachers always told me, The issues are in the tissues. Restorative yoga gives us a way to reset our nervous systems, release tension, and rest our minds. If you want to try it, there's a link in the show notes to join the Patreon page, and it is up right now. Uh, I think that's it for housekeeping type items. So, on to the interview. This was really special for me because... Anadea Judith has been one of, if not my, my primary teacher on the chakras for years. I bought her book, Eastern Body, Western Mind, because someone recommended it to me and it literally changed my life. This podcast exists because she wrote that book in 1996. And here's the thing. I never met her until this interview, but I... I still consider her to be an important part of my spiritual development. Anadea Judith, PhD, is a groundbreaking thought leader and best-selling author on the topics of chakras, psychology, yoga, and social change. She's the director of Sacred Centers, which you can find at sacredcenters.com. It's a teaching organization of transformational wisdom, and she holds a doctoral degree in human health, a master's in clinical psychology, and advanced ERYT yoga teacher certification. Dr. Judith is the author of several definitive works on the chakras, best known for the classics, Wheels of Life, and of course, Eastern Body, Western Mind, as well as the award-winning DVD, The Illuminated Chakras. Her other books include Creating on Purpose, Anadea Judith's Chakra Yoga, and the double award-winning The Global Heart Awakens, and her most recent book, 
charge the energy body. Anadea is a globally recognized inspirational speaker, well-loved for her experiential teachings and training programs. She lectures and teaches worldwide in over 20 countries, and her online courses have reached 163 countries with books in 28 languages. She also has a really cool new project coming out in December that I didn't even know about until the day we had our interview. It's a, a deck of cards of the female archetypes and information to go with each of them. She has a vision to bring the traditionally feminine qualities to the forefront of leadership in our culture, which she and I both agree is desperately needed. We, we get a little in-depth on these cards, which of course you can't see, but I didn't want to cut the conversation around them because it's so interesting and valuable. However, I will post the video of that part of the interview on the Patreon page so that if you want to see the cards we're talking about, you have that option. As always, there are links in the show notes to all of the ways to find out more about her and her work. Okay, no more delays. Here's Anadea. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market well welcome anadea i'm so thrilled that you are here today i appreciate your time how are you oh i'm just great a little hot because we're having a heat wave here in california but other than that i'm great and i'm taking off and going camping in the next three days so oh that's so wonderful i love a the chance to connect with nature right get a little bit away from everything it's good that's to right. Uh, literally and metaphorically unplug. <laughs> so thank you for your time. Thank you for being on the show. You are honestly, um, I think, somebody who changed my life, who changed my work around chakras. So many of the things that I've learned, I've learned from you, from your books. Um, and so I just appreciate you so much. Um, what I would love to spend some time talking about today is the archetypes. Uh, I think I mentioned to you before, I struggle a little bit with the archetypes, understanding them, but I'd love to go over what is an archetype? Why is it important as we're working with energy and chakras and understanding ourselves, really? Because I think that's sort of what archetypes are designed to do. So if you're willing, I would love to just kind of dive right in. Dive into archetypes. Great. Well, let's take the word itself, archetype. It comes from... Archie, which is original, like we get archaeology, which goes back to something original, and type, which meant uh, like a blow, like the blow of a hammer that makes the mold, right? So it really means like an original mold. 
from which something was created. Now, it's not something physical, an original mold. It's more, uh, Jung described it as inherent tendencies in the psyche. And so think of them as major categories, like a mother. Mother is an archetype. And yet your mother was different than my mother. You could have a good mother. You could have a bad mother. You could have um, an absent mother. You could have a doting mother. They're all different kinds. But if we say mother, we kind of all know what we're talking about. You know, you can have a cat as an archetype, but then there's black cats and white cats and tailless minks and all that, that. But we still know what you're talking about with a cat. So in the same way, we have these archetypes that Jung identified as inherent tendencies in the psyche. And if you think of them like um, you have a magnet underneath a piece of paper and you have iron filings on the piece of paper, the magnet shapes those iron filings, but you can't see the magnet. So it's something that shapes our tendencies to be a certain way. Like you might have grown up trying to be the hero, or you might have grown up as the lost child, or you might have grown up as, you know, the, the mascot, you know, which is sort of the one that, you know, entertains and keeps people laughing to keep everybody diverted. Um, there's so many different ways that we can adopt these tendencies. And then we find we're doing that all our life. We're trying to be the hero in every system, every situation, and we're getting exhausted by it. So it helps to recognize, oh, I'm trying to save the world all by myself here. Well, that's kind of silly. <laughs> you know, maybe I can incorporate different aspects. Fascinating. And so you say, you know, we try to be a certain type of archetype. Do we have an underlying archetype that sort of is our personality, but then we put on other archetypes? Or are all of the archetypes available to us at all times? Well, they're all available to us, but in the culture, we have unequal weight and prominence of different archetypes. And one of the things right now is that we have a lot of male archetypes, especially for leadership. You know, the male model of leadership is somebody on top who tells everybody else what to do and is very strong and decisive and can be the commander in chief. And that's a carryover from, you know, generals designed to lead an army into battle and you know that's what and, and now it's for presidents and ceos and with that archetype there that's what everybody thinks of as leadership so that's why it's very hard for a woman to get elected mm -hmm. as president because the archetype is a woman should be sweet and feminine and soft but that's not the qualities needed to be commander-in-chief and if she acts more masculine and more powerful well, then she's an uppity woman. She's, you know, she's masculine. She's not really herself, you know, because we don't have an archetype for leadership that is feminine. And she's defying the archetype that we would really prefer her to stick to. Is that kind of right. what you mean? Exactly, exactly. Well, we can't, we can't, our brains can't put it together. Like I say, if she acts like a decisive, powerful, masculine figure, and people look at her as a woman, they can't put that together. So they distrust her, mm -hmm. right? Oh, I, that's just not what I think of when I look at a pretty woman, you know? Yes. Um, so it's, it's a disconnect in the brain because the culture favors certain archetypes. But when we favor mostly masculine archetypes of leadership, we're missing so many different kinds of leadership that women do naturally. Right. And that's why I've been working on this project, awakening female archetypes of leadership, so that we recognize, oh, 
the shepherdess who is always looking after the flock and making sure everybody has enough water or that they have their coffee or that you know they got their papers in or that they're included or they got the phone call or they got the email the shepherdess is an important role in any organization but she's not valued because we don't see that as anything of value and nice. so by elevating and making these archetypes of feminine leadership more prominent, we can say, oh, yeah, I see the person in my organization that does that. I can reward her and recognize her for that. Or when I work with these cards, one person picked that one time and she said, oh, my God, I've been doing this all my life and I never saw it as leadership. I think also learning to restructure our organizations, the teams that we work on, uh, to not necessarily have sort of that pyramid feeling, right, where we have the one person at the top, whereas I think female archetypes uh, tend to almost inverse that, right? We have a servant leader um, exactly. supporting from the bottom, right? Exactly. And so I'm really interested in that because I think that um, we're talking a lot about, you know, CEOs and elected officials and things, but there are, are a thousand ways that women lead in their communities and they don't necessarily get recognized and I think what you're saying about the archetypes is because we have so clearly created our current culture around what a male leadership archetype should be. I mean, that's essentially the definition of patriarchy, right? Like that, that's exactly what that is. And so learning to restructure our organizations and working um, within ourselves to identify those biases that we hold about the, you know, because you can be as intellectually aware of these things as you want, but if you're not yeah. putting them into practice or you are still acting on your uh, inherent biases, then you can struggle, right? This is a way for us to be part of the solution, as they say. Exactly. And what you say about, you know, being intellectually aware and yet still falling into these, these ruts is what happens with archetypes. You know, you can take a, you know, a heterosexual male female couple and they're both pretty aware of sexism dynamics you know the man is aware of that too and he supports women's rights and all that and yet the couple will still find themselves falling at times into these very sexist divisions even at even when they're very conscious couples you know and go oh whoops we just fell into that you know i'm in the supportive role and you're in the leading role and you know and and, and that's you know so that's the inherent tendencies that an archetype has the power of an archetype is that we unconsciously fall into mm -hmm. it and the idea is to become conscious of it so that we choose our archetypes you know we have a choice in the matter we don't have to be this we can choose to be that or choose not to be or choose to be something else uh, yeah and, and when you tap into the power of the archetypes they will aid you they're allies so if you have a problem you're trying to solve and you tap into a certain archetype and you relate to it and you converse with it in your meditations or in your journal or you put a picture of it on your altar or on your mirror, you start to form a relationship, its power will speak to you and guide you. And because so as you said, they're all available to us at all times. So we That's have right. it within us. That's right. Um, and we just have to find it. Which I think is interesting because that's a great way to look at sort of the different 
um, aspects of the chakras as well, right? Like all of the aspects of each of the energy centers is available to us at all times. And we need to That's right. be conscious of them and tap into them all at different times, sort of in that same way, I think is what I'm hearing you say. Yes, exactly. And so someone can be, you know, primarily in their third chakra, which is power and have to be in power and have to be in control all the time. And they're not even aware of that. And they're not even aware that they're shutting down their heart in order to maintain power or they're, you know, trying to open their heart, but they don't communicate very well or they don't have a higher vision or they're not grounded. And so we feel normal to ourselves. We don't realize until we have a template to look at ourselves. Oh, wait, you know, I'm a little dominant in that one and I'm a little recessive in this one and that's out of balance. And so these templates show us how to come into more balance and empowerment. Do they come in sort of left and right, yes and no, yin and yang type pairs, or is it just more, is it more general than that as far as, uh, um, I'm sorry, the archetypes? Um, Well, a whole archetype has both light and shadow uh, and is really deep and rich. It has many aspects. But what we have a lot of in the culture is partial archetypes, which we call stereotypes. Right? So the guy in the gray flannel suit suit is sort of like a stereotype. You know, if you saw the movie The Matrix and you had, you know, uh, what was it, Mr. Smith in the suit, you know, that's like a stereotype. You know, but the entrepreneur would be an archetype. Right. And then you've got this businessman in the gray flannel suit. You know, the beauty is an archetype. But, you know, the woman on the magazine cover, you know, the model, she's kind of a stereotype. You know, so Jung talked about archetypes having both a light and a shadow side. And we have to be aware of both the light and shadow side. And if we don't, we're not playing with the full deck, so to speak. We're not playing with a full archetype. And what will happen is we will unconsciously manifest the shadow side mm-hmm. because we're not aware of it. I see. Um, I think that is an extremely important distinction to make for me, the difference between the archetype and the stereotype, right? I think that I was sort of blending the two. They're the same and they're, they don't, it just sounds like they're not the same at all. Oh, no. that one is sort of a part of the other. Yes, exactly. One is a lesser part of the other. You know, it's like when you take the richness out of the archetype and you don't you don't have the shadow aspect, then you get that, you know, very shallow version of the stereotype. Very interesting. So I'm starting to really get a better picture of how knowing about the archetypes would give us a better understanding of our of ourselves. and the parts of the archetypes that we embody and the parts of the archetypes that maybe we're kind of hiding from ourselves. That's right. And I think that to me speaks a lot about how we sometimes do our chakra work. We, we focus on one side of the chakra and then we hide the, the shadows and we think, oh, that's the bad part of me instead of sort of exploring the broad wholeness of each of the energy centers, each of the types of, of available aspects, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about um, 
archetypes and chakras, how they go together, how they might not go together, but let's explore what the connection between those two could look like. Well, first of all, you know, the chakra system itself is an archetypal system. You know, Jung said that, Carl Jung said that everyone needs an archetype of wholeness to guide them in their life. For some people, it might be the Tao, you know, the yin yang and the Tao for a, a system of balance. For others, it might be the 12, um, you know, archetypes of astrology, you know, the Cancer and the Aries and, you know, Taurus and whatnot that they, you know, work with astrology and the planets. For others, it might be, um, you know, the nine uh, Enneagram points, you know. Uh, or human design, or there's lots of these. So the chakra system is one of those archetypes of wholeness. And it's a map to the human soul. And it says, you know, if you want to go somewhere on that map, you get to decide where to go. The map doesn't tell you where you have to go. It just says, if you want to go to New York, here's how you get there. If you want to go to Canada, there's how you get there. If you want to go to Florida to, you know, and so the chakra system says, you know, this is here and this is here and this is here. And it also says that if you address your life on each one of these essential seven levels, you have a good recipe or formula, as it were, for becoming whole. Mm -hmm. And so you can, you know, look at your life and then look at this formula for wholeness and say, you know, what am I missing here? What am I doing too much of? Where am I out of balance? Oh, I'm not very grounded. I'm up here in my head all the time. Gee, maybe my balance will come from being grounded. I'm just speaking, you know. Sure. Um, or someone says, gee, you know, I pull back from my power. I give my power away all the time. A lot of women do that, you know. And yet I'm, you know, very imaginative and have lots of ideas, but I don't know how to bring them into, into manifestation. You know, that's the top down journey through the chakras. Mm -hmm. uh, so we look at this and I, I have a way of diagnosing each chakra as excessive or deficient. And that's an important distinguish, distinction in how we get out of balance. The excessive chakra comes from doing something too much, overcompensating. So maybe you didn't get enough attention as you were growing up. You didn't feel loved. And so you want to be the center of attention all the time, you know, and you're always on social media and you're always talking to your friends and you always have to be with people and you can't be alone and you're always testing your relationship. That would be an excessive heart chakra. An excessive heart chakra doesn't mean you're really wide open and, and good at it. It means you're compensating for some kind of wound, overcompensating, and that creates an excessive chakra. Too much energy, too much focus, even a fixation on that particular chakra. Then on the other hand, a different kind of defense mechanism would be an avoidant response. Oh, I don't want to go there. You know, I, let's say someone has a lot of, you know, difficult feelings they experienced in childhood. So they just shut down their second chakra and say, well, I don't want to go down there and feel all those. I'm just going to go up here and live in my head. You know, um, I don't really want to be in my body. Let me be up here in the intellect. Um, or, um, I, you know, I'm scared to open my mouth and I'm very quiet and shy and I speak in a little voice and I get nervous when I raise my hand. That would be a deficient fifth chakra. And that would be someone that is scared to really have full energy there and they shut it down. 
But both excessive and deficient chakras are out of balance. It's either too much or too little. And what we do, we want to come into balance within each chakra between its excess and deficiency and also among all seven chakras. Mm -hmm. And we don't have one that's excessive compensating for another one that's deficient. And I really like how you phrase it as excessive and deficient. Um, so much of the time I hear, I hear chakras referred to as open or closed. Right. And, at the, and to me, and just from reading your work all these years, that feels like a, very much an oversimplification of what's actually happening. And, I, and from what I heard you say about the archetypes, it's the same thing, right? It's too much of the light side of the archetype and not enough of the shadow side. It's too much uh, heart chakra and, you know, and, or too little solar plexus or whatever, right, exactly. whatever your particular balance is. And so these archetypes are ways to help us understand what's happening in ourselves. Would you say that's accurate? Exactly. And exactly. we're able to yes. use these broader um, broader pictures and then narrow them down rather than trying to start with this very specific thing that we don't understand. The broader picture um, helps us connect to, first of all, that this has been happening for the whole of humanity, which I find very comforting that it isn't just now that we all find ourselves out of balance, that human beings have been out of balance since they were human beings um, That's right. and we're complicated. Um, the difference now is we have more awareness of it and more tools to address it. And thank goodness for that. Oh, boy, do we need it. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm so grateful, which is why I love talking about all of these different ways of understanding. Like you said, this system, this seven energy system is is just one archetype, right? There's many others. You sometimes talk about the elemental archetypes as they relate to the, the chakras. Would you Would you share with us a little bit about that? Yeah, I would actually say archetypal elements. So oh, earth okay. is an archetypal element. You know, the Greeks talked about the four major elements, earth, water, fire, and air, right? Um, they can give us our northeast, south, and west in some, you know, our spring, summer, winter, fall. Well, you know, they can be correlated with each other and they correspond to the chakras. So the first chakra is earth. The second chakra is water, which is freer than earth then fire is freer than water. You know, you can pass your hand through a fire, doesn't have any edges or boundaries. Air is the art, you know, the archetypal element of the heart chakra. So that's the breath and air is invisible and expansive. Where's the edge of air? There isn't any, you know, sound can travel farther than air, faster, light travels faster than sound and consciousness is everywhere at once. So we move through these archetypal elements from very formed to very free. And as we move up through the chakras, that's called the current of liberation because we're going to freer and freer forms of existence. But you can take the downward journey and start in highest consciousness uh, with an idea, a conception. And then you imagine, you picture and visualize that idea. And then you talk about it to all your friends. And then you find the right relationships, the right people to create that idea with, you know, to maybe you want to start a retreat center or a new business or you know you find the people then you use your will to make things happen you bring different things together until you finally manifest it on the earth plane and then so in that direction you're starting with a very free abstract plane and getting denser and denser and more mm -hmm. specific 
as you go down and that's the process of manifestation yes and you i know you talk about that a lot i talk about that as well um simply because like everything that we exists on the planet began out there in the consciousness right that's everything right. everything there's yeah. not one thing that started not as an idea for somebody that's to exactly right yeah create it um and i i am fascinated that it appears to be cross-cultural this use of elemental archetypes mm -hmm. i'm saying that correctly elemental yeah. archetypes yeah um you know, if you, as you study Native American cultures, they have a lot of elemental archetypes that they use. And do you think it's the same thing where there can be, I don't want to say too much earth because that's not exactly what I mean, but perhaps like the earth is too dense or the earth oh. is, so yeah, there's- that's the same Absolutely, that's your excessive and deficient first chakra. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the ways you can, people always say, well, how do I know whether I'm excessive or deficient? Well, one is you look at the functioning of that chakra, which is to, you know, be grounded, to survive, to be secure in your own body, to be embodied, all of that is first chakra. And it's element earth. And do I have too much earth? Too much earth would look like a overweight body, you know, more weight to carry around. Um, you know, too bogged down with possessions, you know, maybe a hoarder, a hoarder, you know, who hangs on to everything, uh, could even be, you know, constipation hanging on, you know, to solid matter and not, you know, letting go. That would be an excessive, too much earth first chakra. Whereas a deficient first chakra would be not very grounded, you know, a, a skin, tall, skinny body and someone who lives in their head and doesn't really feel what is going on in their body. Uh, doesn't really notice it or has health problems, has money problems, you know, can't manifest in the physical world. And then you can do that with each chakra all the way up for earth, water, second chakra is water, fluid, flow, third chakra is fire, power, uh, fourth chakra is air, fifth chakra communication is sound, uh, sixth chakra seeing is about light, and seventh chakra is about consciousness. Yeah, that's it's just beautiful how they all sort of relate and i just visually think of like thinking about the first the root chakra just thinking about like what would too much earth look like well like a, a rock something very heavy and dense you know and what would not enough earth look like maybe like sand very difficult to build yeah. um on either of those particular things because they're they there's no there's no give or there's no support and i feel like that's sort of the same way when mm -hmm. we talk about the chakras and building that energetic foundation for all of the things to and how they go together sand, for example doesn't hold water very well that's why you can't grow something on the beach you know not very many plants grow on the beach because the sand doesn't hold water you want earth that holds water you want earth that has a little bit of give and yet is solid when you step on it you want water that's plentiful and flowing and always replenish you don't want stagnant water you right don't want we don't want a drought so yeah. it's Right. And then we have these archetypal um, en energies in the culture at large. So when you look at the, you know, floods and droughts right now that are happening almost everywhere is out of balance with water. Mm -hmm. you know, we have the worst drought in 1200 years here in California. 
and trees are dying right and left you know it's just they're croaking under the heat without the water and then you have the you know georgia and kentucky and you know places are flooding right now china's flooding pakistan, pakistan flooding. yeah yeah is flooding and so there's too much and you know if you look at the second chakra's realm of emotion and sexuality well, we don't have very healthy attitudes towards each, either one of those things. You know, sexuality is very repressed and distorted and then oppressed. And, you know, we hardly know what healthy sexuality looks like, right? And emotions, you're not supposed to feel emotions. But then when you block that, you get a shadow side of too much. So the flooding, you know, and that's even a term in psychology of when a client is flooding with emotion, you know, it's like what's been blocked is just coming up and pouring out. They're flooding with it or they're very dry. I don't feel anything. Nope, nope, nothing going on here. You know, that's more of a drought. That's more of a drying up. Um, so we can see this, you know, we have imbalances of power, which is fire and we're overheating the planet. <laughs> yeah. And because we have, we're excessive in the third chakra as a culture. It's all about power and doing and, and dominating. And, uh, you know, so we look at these, even first chakra, you know, the first chakra imbalances create a healthcare crisis, an environmental crisis, and a financial crisis. Because health and environment and finances are all part of first chakra. Right and those three levels are very out of balance in our culture. And since we as individuals are in fact the culture, right? I, you know, we yes. can't separate ourselves from it. I guess the I say this a lot, but I feel like the only work that I can do is on myself, right? I can only work on my own self. Like you do your work on yourself and then you share what you know and what you've learned with the world. Um, and then I know, you know, I try to do that through this podcast as well. But when it comes down to it, would you say that's, that's really what we can do? can do or how can we no, use I would this never say only we okay. can only work on ourselves but I would say that it begins there okay I love that it begins there and I think in many ways also in this culture there's a kind of um even in the spiritual world there's a lot of narcissism there's a mm -hmm. lot of my whole purpose is to preen my my posture to perfection and to do everything alone on my little mat and you know, if I do that, the world will change. Well, we've had 40, 50 years of this spiritual revolution and awakening that, you know, we've had since the 60s or so, you know, this modern awakening. And I wouldn't say the world's in a very good place right now. No, <laughs> so I think I'm afraid that, you're right. <laughs> you know, so I think that, yes, we work on ourselves and we need to look at the larger collective uh, at all times. And some people, um, you know, activists often are too much focused on the larger collective and they don't take care of themselves and other people are too focused on themselves and they're not taking it out beyond themselves. So hold on. Is that again, an imbalance in your archetype of the yeah. activist and the nurturer or something like that? And then I guess to bring it full circle, I, part of your new project, um, the female archetype of leadership, I guess what we're doing or what you're doing is looking to bring new archetypes to light and elevate them to uh to well i guess balance them with the archetypes that we have that are so predominant right now right? exactly exactly to awaken them in women and what i've been surprised at is i've been sharing these cards in the process that i do around them is um 
that I thought I was just writing it for women, but men have come to the, and they've been begging to come to these circles. And when they come, they cry. I can't tell you the number of men that just had tears streaming down their face reading one of the archetype cards because it touched them so much. And I thought, well, I didn't know, you know, and I'm, I'm going to be training women to facilitate these circles. And some of the men said, train me too. I want to facilitate these circles. <laughs> wow. I never really thought that, you know, but men are missing these softer archetypes. And I think there's a lot of men hurting in yes. the world because they are missing them and they feel called to them, but they don't feel like there's space for them to move into the softer archetypes or even the shadow sides of yeah. some of the more masculine archetypes, right? There's a lot of push for That's everybody right. to be a certain way. And so, yeah, yeah I think I, I get um, emails and messages from men as well who say, I know your podcast is mostly for women, but you should know I'm really learning a lot as well. And I had the same reaction. I was like, oh, Wonderful. That's great. Yeah. Happy children. Um, would you tell me a little bit about these cards? I'm so fascinated by them. Tell me about the cards. Tell me about the circles. What? You know, I know they're know, not out for a while, but I'm really It all starts with the spinner. The spinner yeah. is the first of the three fates of Greek mythology. There's the spinner, the weaver, and the cutter. And the spinner spins the thread that begins everything. So this is like the original idea. This is the core where you get down to that basic thread of your soul. What's the core idea here? You know, when you get, you know, they say, you know, remember when you're up to your neck and alligators, your original intention was to drain the swamp. So she's like, spins out the idea. She's the storyteller. And then the next one, of course, is the mother. Let's see if I can put my hands right on her because they aren't in order. Uh, well, here's the midwife that follows the mother. She helps things get born. Um, you know, we can pick a card too, and I can read a little bit about it. Oh, that would be amazing. They're yeah. beautiful cards. Um, yeah, the art was done by Melinda Matzel, and we're just finishing up on it. We have the archetype of the healer. Oh, look at that. Yeah, and that's actually yeah. a friend of mine who passed away recently. I decided to make her in the healer card. The archetype of the mother of compassion, who's the angel of mercy. Uh, the creatrix is an archetype, the one who is creating, you know, and here we have this woman in an evening dress up on a ladder creating the heavens. Um, and how many of these female archetypes did you say were included in this deck? Uh, 38. 38. And I guess is deck the right word or are we calling them cards? Yeah, I, I was calling them she cards before, but the project is called She Rises because I argue that at this time in the culture, men need to deepen and women need to rise. Mm -hmm. And then they can match and work in partnership better. It's not about women dominating. It's just about recognizing some of these forgotten archetypes like the priestess or the oracle uh, or the midwife and some new ones that are emerging like the activists. 60% of activists are women. Right. That's really quite a dominant number or, you know, the female politician, you know. Well, the stateswoman. Yeah. And then, of course, don't about, forget... Like it's not it's about dominating, play. right? You lighten oh. everything up. <laughs> it's just a play. Well, I think we need more of those. Yeah. And then the shepherdess who brings up the rear. So there's the shepherdess tending to the flock. And, you know, we have the maiden mother crone, which is the three aspects of a woman's life. So, you know, here's the crone. She's the wise woman that comes at the end. 
and the cutter, she's the queen of death. She's the one that says, nope, we got to cut the agenda down. We've got to downsize the company. We got to let some people go. We got to fit into a smaller budget. You know, that's an important role. Um, oh, here's the mother card. Mother card. Beautiful. And we have, you know, and the maiden. So maiden mother crone, the young woman, and of course the lover. <laughs> the, all of these women. And yeah. I love that none of them are more they valuable than any other, right? All of these types of archetypes are needed in the world. There's no one that's more valuable than another or, and it, like that's you said, right. it's not about dominating. It isn't about no. pressing anyone else down. It's about rising up. But right now, I think as you're saying, women don't, women are, have not risen and it's the time to, right. to make that happen. And we'll find the balance. And this might be a tough question, but do you think that if we can, as a culture, sort of rise and balance as women, that that will also help the terrible things that are happening on the planet with the fires and the flooding and the drought and well, you, you know, those over two time, things are directly related? Well, yes and no. It's it's. Uh, let's put the question a little bit differently. I would say these situations, you know, the wars and the fires and the you know the climate being out of balance because we're out of balance with nature those resulted from imbalance in the archetypal realm. You know, it's sort of like if you have cancer, you can say, well, that may have resulted from a lifetime of eating poorly and suppressing my feelings. But it doesn't mean that if you have advanced cancer, suddenly you change your diet and it all goes away. You may have to get surgery, you know. Um, you know, you can break a bone because you were careless, but paying more attention doesn't fix the bone. You got to have it set and wear a cast for a while. But I do think that um, this is part of then we're playing with the wholeness rather than uh, something that's out of balance. And when we're not playing with a full deck, our options are limited. And right now we're not because we don't yeah. have these 38 archetypes, some of the older traditional ones, the new emerging ones. And... That's also an interesting thought. I hadn't really thought about the fact that new archetypes do emerge. We're not they do. stuck in like there are 20 archetypes and that's just sort of all we'll ever have. So, yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's not limited to 38. I just had to limit, you know, how many <laughs> can I put in a box and, and in each card I add adds to the price and you push it over a certain amount. No one's going to buy it. So fair enough. Decide which ones, you know. There's the diva who is the, you know, return of the goddess on stage singing and dancing. And, um, you know, there's the observer, the person who is the quiet one and watches, but she, you know, sees a lot of things. Um, there's the weaver. She's the entrepreneur. She's always bringing things together. Oh, and an emerging archetype now is the androgyne. This is the gender fluid. Yes. Um, so in all these archetypes, I needed to include this because not all women identify with their biological gender. They may feel more masculine and they may want to express themselves or they don't identify with gender at all. I was just gonna say, there are people that don't necessarily feel female or male. And right. we are getting to a place where we are consciously creating more space for them in a place where we've consciously uncreated space. Right, uh, right. Historically. So each archetype is told from three different perspectives. One is the I, which is sort of like a poem. I am the dancer. I shapeshift spirit into matter through the undulating truth of my body. I mean, it's her saying, here's who I am. 
then the she talks about sometimes those archetypes in history, sometimes how they're in balance today, you know, like in the benefactress, which is the wealthy woman. I talk about the history of women with money. You know, most younger women don't know that women couldn't even have their own credit card until 1975 without a guy going in there and signing for it, you know? And it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg with the Credit Act that changed all that, you know? So most women don't even know that that was the case. So, you know, it's so the she part is sort of the didactic intellectual information to get to understand that archetype better. And then the you part is when you work with this archetype, it is asking you to kick up your heels and dance, or it's asking you to open your heart, or it's asking you to be more generous, or it's asking you to get focused. And so it's told from all three parts. That's beautiful. And it just gives us a new way to think about ourselves, to think about the women that we know, to think about the women in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Right. That's and right. Understanding. And I think it's universal across culture. Mm -hmm. You know, here's the peacemaker. And what you learn in the she part is that um, in places where women have been part of negotiating peace, the peace actually lasts longer and is more supported by the people. And yet there's only been one woman in the whole world through history who has signed an international peace declaration. Who was and, that? Um, let's see. I've got, I've got to get her name. She was a Philippine in the Philippines. Um, Miriam Coronel Ferrer in the Philippines. And out so, of 109 Nobel Peace winners, only 18 have been women. So I talk about things like that. There's the alchemist. Beautiful. She knows how to, and of course, you know, people don't recognize women as scholars very much and teachers. <laughs> Isn't that you know, the Their thing? name is always left off the paper or put on the bottom of the list. You know, there's the oracle who brings truth in from the other side. Um, the protectress. Yeah. Like Julia Butterfly Hill that lived in the top of a redwood tree for two whole years in order to mm -hmm. protect Lock, keep from getting cut down absolutely yeah. and yeah. so these archetypes um in general and these you know she she rises specific archetypes are ways for us to explore ourselves and maybe um understand why we do what we do i suppose right like or tapping into like our, our, our desires you know think of them as superpowers okay and a way to tap into those superpowers you know um, when and I do a recognize them as it, superpowers, right? Recognize that the shepherdess is a superpower. It's exactly. not just something that sits in the background that, oh, I guess, you know, Sarah will do this. No, that's a superpower. Like, so if you're doing the work of the shepherdess, you are doing vital work in the world. Don't discount yourself and don't let anyone else discount you either. Exactly. And for, you know, a boss to recognize, oh, this woman who is the shepherdess at all the meetings, or she's in the company, I have a shepherdess in my business. Um, and I don't know what I'd do without her. She makes sure the students that need this course in order to graduate get a phone call that the course is coming up and she makes sure they get their papers in and that they get their certificate. And, you know, she's kind of like reaching out to all the people. I don't know what I'd do without her. Absolutely. And see, you appreciate that. You understand that this exactly. is a valuable role. 
And I mean, just my two cents, it doesn't hurt that it's your company and you're a woman running a company. I think that it it allows you to value different kinds of um, responsibilities That's in right. a company. And I think that that is um, something important about what you're focusing on with this deck, which is leadership or these cards, which is uh, female leadership. And again, remembering that that isn't always about being a CEO. That isn't about being the That's boss, right? right? Leadership right. is is when people look to you and people are always looking to you for something. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. leadership is where you bring about a desired outcome and everybody thinks it was their idea. <laughs> <laughs> my, I always say my ego is not wrapped up in being right. My, I, I just want us to get to the right place from That's wherever right. we start. I don't, I don't need to be right. Let's just yeah. get. Um, well, this has been just absolutely fascinating and beautiful. And I, I could not appreciate the work that you're doing more. I'm more excited about these archetypes than I've ever been in my life. So thank you for the clarification. Thank you for the elucidation. Everything about it was just wonderful and beautiful. So thank you, Anadea. Uh, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. I'll let you know, Sarah, when the project is out. I've only just mm -hmm. finished the writing, just got it back from the editor. Now we're formatting it for publication and we hope to have it out by the 1st of December. Looking forward to it. Um, but if people my like, 70th say, birthday. <laughs> your 70th birthday, well, happy yeah. birthday. Yeah, um, well, that's that's what I'm giving myself <laughs> for my birthday is the completion of these archetypes. Perfect. If people want to know now, though, more about what you do, um, your books, your work, your workshops, um, where can they go? What What's the best place for people to the find best you? place is anadeajudith.com, just okay. my, my name.com. And Judith is my last name. And um, it has all my online workshops that are evergreen. You can download one on manifestation, on energy in the chakras, on yoga and psychology. Um, there's little mini courses, chakra tune-ups and things like that. Um, so, and anytime that I'm, you know, I'm just starting to go back live again, you know, in person after three years of COVID shutdown and uh, where workshops were shut down. So I'll be headed to, um, Europe soon and for a workshop overseas, which I haven't done in three years, but I used to do it every year. And uh, so all of that will be on my website, my books, everything. Fantastic. I will, I will put a link to that in the show notes so that um, it's easy to find. But thank you again for your time and for your energy and for everything that you are doing in the world. You are truly, truly appreciated. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. Yes. Well, you're well named for Sarah Bright. <laughs> thank you. All right. Have a wonderful day, Anadea, and I look forward to talking to you again. Okay. Thank you. That was my conversation with a personal teacher of mine. It feels really vulnerable to share that with you all. And I'm sure I sounded like a total fangirl up front, but Anadea is, is truly kind and knowledgeable and generous and awesome. Like I mentioned in the interview, all her links are in the show notes, as well as links to my social media accounts, Facebook and Instagram, as well as a link to join the Patreon if you're interested in the yoga class I talked about at the beginning. And remember to check out yourchakracoach.com if you're interested in the seven-day chakra manifestation course. It's a bit of a crash course, but it will get you all set up to create big things in your life. I hope you have an amazing week. And I can't wait to hear what you all thought of the interview. See you later. Bye.